Hi and welcome to Home Education for All, or HEFA for short. At HEFA, we believe that community is the heart of home education, and so that's what we built. We built a community in the UK, helping, supporting and uplifting each other to be the best home educators we can be. And now we're coming to you via this podcast too. Stay tuned for all things home education in the UK via our amazing, experienced, knowledgeable and often hilarious team. We truly believe home education can be for everyone and we hope listening here will give you the confidence or knowledge you need if you've been considering home education. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome back to the Heifer podcast. So um, I'm not going to lie, I'm a little bit excited. I have a wonderful guest with me today. Um, some of you may know of her. She is called Naomi Fisher. Hello, Naomi. Hello, it's lovely to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and speak to us at the Heifer podcast. Um, now, I know that a lot of people like to talk to you about kind of school issues and, and all of those kinds of things. But as we are a home educating uh, podcast, I'd really like to pick your brains about home ed instead. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Yep. Um, so you do you currently home ed your kids? So I officially home educate them, but they are at the part time self-managed learning community in uh, Port State. So they oh. go there for four hours every morning. Fantastic. They are officially home educated. Yeah. Um, this is something I really love about home ed is that there's so many different ways in which you can make it work for your family, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what is it that made you choose to home ed your kids? So my kids are 14 and 11 now, and they've been home educated since the start. So they've never been to a conventional school. Um, and... What really started it off for me was when my son was three, because he was a summer born boy, and he we actually had a place at the school on the primary school, which was on our road, and it was meant to be an excellent primary school. It's on everybody wanted so much so that they would say, even if you lived on the street, you know, you could only get a place in there if you were like at the right house. It was like, are we further enough? Are we close enough? Are we further away? So when we got this place, everybody was like, you've you've won the lottery. You've got the place at the right school. Um, and I'm a psychologist, obviously, and I'm a, I've, I'm a clinical psychologist, but I'm also a developmental psychologist. I did a PhD on development. Well, it was about autism, but it was about developmental psychology before I did my clinical training. And my developmental psychology was all about how children learn and really about how they learn in relationship with other people, how they learn in context. You know, I was really fan of all the stuff about learning through play and how children can guide their own learning already. And we went along to the meeting for school, which was the pre, you know, the preschool meeting with the the autumn, the the summer before. And they gave us a list of key words. And they said it really helpful if you could get your children to learn these key words over the summer. And my son was three, right? He was a summer born boy and he was going to go into reception and they give me a list of words like the, and, but, if, And I was like, this is totally learning out of context. Like, I've got this three-year-old who is absolutely not interested in reading. And I meant to teach him this list of words which are effectively meaningless for him. You know, they they have no sense at all. This doesn't make any sense for what I know about learning and child development. It just doesn't make any sense. And then I could also see that my son was really active and he he didn't like at all big groups of people. He got overwhelmed really quickly. And when he was overwhelmed, he often hit other children. And I thought, we could go down a really bad route here really quickly. Let's just not do that. (laughs) Let's just skip it. Um, So I did. So we kept him at home and he's got a sister who's three years younger. And then as they grew, it just became clear to me that I I had sort of thought, I guess, like lots of parents do, you know, maybe by the time they're seven, they'll be more ready to go to school. We'll do lots of play, and then they'll be, you know, it'll be, it'll feel better. And actually, I found what happened was the gap between what they were doing and what school children were doing just took a massive. It was just got bigger and bigger and bigger. The gap got wider and wider, but not in a bad way. 
so I had I had thought you know oh gosh they're going to be behind they won't be doing phonics they won't be doing this but actually what I saw was that they were learning all sorts of things in all sorts of different ways but they weren't learning the stuff that children were learning at school and I don't just mean that they weren't being taught to read and write at that stage because I wasn't teaching them but also they weren't learning things like how to sit still and listen to a teacher and how to put your hand up if you want to ask a question and they weren't learning to keep on top you know they just weren't learning all those things because we were just living life and doing lots of yeah. play and so and the more I saw them doing that the more I was like you know this is this is like this is so good this is there's so much happening here and it's so different but I think it's a really good way to learn so here we still are um, <laughs> I love that I love that um I have quite a similar my my children did go to school um mm-hmm. uh, I have four children in total the the youngest has never gone into any educational establishment yeah um I could not do it to him bless his cottons um and uh, recently he's nine now and recently he said to me you know I know I've said like oh am I missing out on something by not going to school we've got a school down the end of our road yeah um he said I know I've said that a few times but actually I find it quite funny now because there is no I I think I probably last five days if that um (laughs) yeah I just I don't think I'm built for that kind of restriction and I was like I agree yes (laughs) you noticed (laughs) yeah I think and I think that's so common actually in the home ed community that you know people talk about there being different kind of home educators but a lot of the people I meet are very similar to me in the sense that I I did it because I thought my, the needs of my child and the and what happens at school were just not going to be a good combination. Um, and I wouldn't say I did that particularly because I had a philosophical belief in home ed or anything at the beginning at all. You know, like everybody, I thought school is where you go. That's what happens when you're a child, you go to school. But the more I looked at it, and for me particularly as a psychologist, the more I looked at school and what was happening in school, the more I was like, this just doesn't fit doesn't fit with what I know about children and child development. Do you feel that being a psychologist has made it easier or harder um, for you to trust yourself when it comes to your own kids? Oh, that's an interesting question. Has it made it harder for me to trust myself? Um, I think it has... If I, of course, I haven't got a comparison because I don't know what it would be like if I wasn't a psychologist. And being yeah. a psychologist is one of those weird things that it's almost like you do this training and it becomes part of how you approach the world. I know. And you can't just not do it. You know, you can't take it away. Um, but I think it did help me in the sense that I did know, I did kind of have a backup of feeling like, you know, there's research that shows, for example, that play-based learning is really good in the early years and that I could, I could draw on all of that. And I also think that it helped me because I'm a clinical psychologist, which means I work with mostly with people who have mental health problems. And I knew how often difficulties at school came up in my conversations with adults and with children. Um, And so I had quite a keen awareness of the downsides of school, which maybe I wouldn't have had otherwise, because being a psychologist is amazing. You get to hear so many people's stories. Um, And the other thing was my own history, which was that I went to 11 different schools when growing up. So my parents moved around the world and we moved school each time. Um, so I also had this experience of having attended lots of schools, but also seeing how lots of the things that they say at school about how we learn, actually, I didn't think were the case or the things that schools spent a lot of their time focusing on, like school uniform, for example, in this country, other schools, I went to schools in um, different countries, but didn't have uniform, no one worried about it. And then I moved to schools where they did have a uniform and everybody was measuring with tape measures and saying, you know, you have to have your shirt right and your tie has to be in rather than out and all these things. And I was like, why? Why all this control? This has nothing to do with learning. Yes, yes. And that that's that's a big thing, right? It doesn't ha- actually have anything to do with the experience of learning. It's, mm-hmm. it's a lot to- more to do with the um, sort of conforming to ideas of society Mm. um recently uh i did a um, i do polls on our group quite often Mm -hmm. and recently i did a poll on um uh, reasons for home ed um so we've had quite a large influx of new members um and it was it was a massively different poll compared to maybe a year ago Mm -hmm. um Back then, a a lot of the reasons were um, things like um, lifestyle, bullying, COVID concerns. 
Um, and actually, this part, this poll, 41% um, clicked mental health or medical concerns. Wow. And yeah. 28% was not meeting send needs. Yeah. Yeah. Which I I knew it I knew it had happened. I knew that we were hitting that kind of precipice where mm. things were going really into crisis. Um, but yeah, it was quite a surprise to see the difference. Mm. Um, and what we experience in the group a lot is that um, parents get to this point where they have to deregister their um, child for either because they're mentally unwell, their medical health is not good and not being managed in school well, or because you know their send needs are not being met. Yeah. Um, and we get so many families kind of coming to us in this crisis of, I've got this child who we've had to deregister, and they they don't want to do, do anything. anything yeah yeah um and i'm a i'm a self we do self-directed learning and yeah. unschooling um and so for me i'm like then let them sleep let yeah. them do this yeah. let them do that you know um if if they just want to play computer games go and sit with them find out what's interesting about it yeah. but um for a lot of families they feel this external pressure from the government to be providing um, what the government says is a suitable education. Yeah. How do we marry that up as a mm. community? It's really difficult, isn't yeah. it? And I mean, I think we have to accept that the government doesn't understand home education. Uh, they do think that being in school is the best thing for children to learn. They say that consistently across their websites, being in school is the best thing for children. They really believe that for everybody. Um, and so I think as home educators, we can't expect the government to understand where we're coming from. And so we can keep saying, and I think it's really important to keep saying, and I do keep saying whenever anybody asks, but I think they're, they're not going to ever validate the, what we're yeah. doing at home. That's my feeling. And I think when you come out of school and when parents have been at school or children have been at school, you've got used to professionals telling you what to do, which is what happens at school. And I think one of the massive transitions of home ed has to be that you that the professionals aren't going to tell you what to do anymore. And they can't tell you what to do anymore because you are taking back the responsibility for your children's education. But it doesn't mean that you won't still have that feeling of, gosh, you know, who are the professionals who are going to tell me what to do? What's the right thing to do? And actually, one of the things that inspired me to write my book was that there was this home education handbook, which somebody showed me, which I've was written. The you've seen it. Yeah. Which was written by two ex-teachers or even they might have been not ex-teachers. I'm not sure. But anyway, it's basically how to do school at home. Like yeah. how to set your curriculum, how to set your school day, you know, better to have a day that starts at nine and ends at three. It's like it comes from this complete idea that school is the ideal and that if you're a home education, of course, what you're going to be trying to do is replicate school as quickly as possible. Whereas I kind of come from the opposite perspective where I think home ed is the ideal. <laughs> and really what we need is schools to be taking more account of what happens in home education. Yeah. Because I think it's so interesting how children learn when they don't go to school. Um, but the recovery thing is a really big thing. And, you yeah. know, I think we obviously we've talked about de-schooling in the home ed community for a long time and about this period of de-schooling. But it's a really anxiety provoking period for parents because you often bring your child out of school or your child stop, you know, is not able to attend school anymore. And you're thinking, OK, great, we're going to do this other stuff. And parents often have loads of plans, don't they? And you see them posting their there's classroom that they've set up or you know they're going to do this and they're going to sign them up for this and then the children are just like no 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 and it puts everybody into a state of panic yeah and i think there is something really important about that stage because i think when your child is at school a lot of parenting is actually about keeping that child at school and managing everything around school, you know, just getting them up in the mornings and making sure their hair is brushed and their uniform is clean and all that kind of stuff, sending them with their pat lunch or their money, everything, a lot of your life with your child is actually about facilitating them at school. Yeah. And the child doesn't have much power in that, in that relationship. The, you know, the parent and the, the, the school and the parent have more power. And in home education, children have a lot more power. I think that's why it's so magical, you know, yeah. because you can't, parents who try to make their children do things in the way that the school does 
they don't have all the setup that a school has. You know, school has systems. School has like 30 other kids all kind of doing what they're meant to be doing. And they have a classroom in which there isn't much uh, other stuff to do if you're not doing what the teacher tells you to do. And they have a whole behavioral system and everything set up to keep those children in those desks. At home, you don't have that. So, you know, so many parents will say, oh, I tried to get them in the desk and say, let's go do maths. And the child's just like, no, sorry, I'm off. And they walk yep. off. And that's the child showing that they have power in this situation. And I think often when a child comes out of school, the child is showing their parent really clearly, I am not going back. And that, and I often think this thing of, you know, I'm not going, I'm not leaving the house, I'm not leaving the room, I'm not putting on my clothes, maybe, you know, is a way of saying, I am not going back. So, and it's that, that child sort of reinstating their power. But that's really hard for parents because parents yeah. are still in a very much a schooled mindset of education is what we do, the stuff we do. So the way I talk about it with parents, actually, is I say, basically, you've got a, like a pyramid of home education, of self-directed education, and the bottom rung of that pyramid is safety and relationships. And you have to establish safety and relationships before your child can start to thrive and learn. And when they come out of school, often you've got quite a bit of reparative work to do on those two things because they haven't felt safe, particularly if you've been told to force them into school, which lots of parents have been. And particularly if they associate you and your relationship with them as you kind of pushing school, you know, you being a kind of mouthpiece of school rather than you being someone who's alongside them and saying, how are we going to learn together? How are we going to do stuff together? So I say exactly what you would say, which is like, okay, so they're playing video games. Can you play them too? Can you get alongside them? And if you if they won't let you play with them, why don't you go and try out the games they're playing? Try them out for yourself so that you'll be able to talk about it with them. You know, show them that you value the things that they are doing and that you value them. Because that, yes. is, that is more important than anything else. Yes, I know, um, I know for my, um, so the first child that I um, deregistered from school was six. Mm -hmm. um, the others came out within that year. I, I had only ever intended on home edding him. And then I was like, yeah. actually, I really hate school now. Um, yeah. Let's pull you all out. One of them has mm -hmm. gone back into school and she's about to take GCSEs this year. Um, however, she's she's the uh, the PDA child who has just, just gone the complete opposite, which is, um, you know, you don't want me to go to school, so I'm going to school. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. 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 Uh, so we support her in that. Uh, yeah. She's got mocks this week, um, but the the six year old. I I remember when I tell people this, it it freaks them out because it took him three years um, after coming yeah. out of school to um, for me to redevelop the trust and relationship with each other mm. that we could get to a point where he would trust me yeah. and what I said. So. Yeah. For example, he was terrified of going to um, any any meetups or anything like that, mm -hmm. um, and um, he has he has uh, medical problems, which meant that for the first five years of his life he was in and out of hospital. Mm -hmm. So um, he had very low attendance at school, and he was yeah. um, you know very very confused and um, just wanted to be with his mum. Yeah, um, and I remember uh, him seeing a psychologist um, at CAMS and they got him to draw a picture of our family and I wasn't in the picture and I was like oh my god I'm so upset and he was like yeah. no no that that explains to us how he sees you he, he doesn't see you as separate from him yet oh, and I was like oh yeah. my that's when yeah. I took him out of school because I was yes. like he he doesn't see me as separate from him and yeah. and they're literally pulling him away from me at six years old so he's missing oh. part of himself all day yeah um so as you can imagine there was a lot of trauma there mm. um and uh it took three years to get of, of us going to a, a meet and just sitting in the car or yeah. just standing outside of the car and every single time he would it took a while for him to agree to get in the car and go and look yeah and then it took time for just sitting in the car and watching and then it took time just standing and watching and eventually um we got to a point after three years of him um sort of engaging for five minutes and then he was like right i want to go home now yeah and i had to say yep yeah, we'll go home now yeah every single time yeah for, for us to rebuild that trust and mm -hmm. he's 14 now yeah. and you know i'll say to him there's this new thing do you want to go and try it and he's like yeah cool 
um, because he knows. He knows that, yeah, he knows you'll allow him to, to not do it if you don't want yeah. to. Yeah. yeah, it's so important, that thing of being able to say no. If you're able to say no, then you can say yes, but you can't say yes unless you know you can say no. And that's the thing, I guess, with your son, with the medical history as well, there'd probably be lots of history of things yeah. happening to him that he couldn't say no to. Very much. And and that's that, that's a really common trajectory, I think. I see that, you, you, you know, it's so confusing for young children to have lots of medical interventions that they can't say no to. And they often see their parent as kind of complicit in that because the parent's there bringing them to it. And so you've got they, a lot they of did keep there. trying. They did keep trying to get me to hold him while they did <gasps> things, and I said no, yeah. not a chance. Yeah. No, I'm his safe yeah. person. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's really <laughs> tough. Really, yeah. really tough. He's yeah. he's he's uh, he's got a lifelong condition, but it's under control now, thanks to home yeah. ed. Um, yeah. But I had yeah. a lot of de-schooling to do. I bet you did for three years. Well, that's a that's a hard. That's I mean, to hold the faith for that amount of time is tough. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And um, what I want to ask you about is yeah. this sort of um, idea that de-schooling has a time period. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's funny because I think you so obviously people often say one month for every year, don't they, that a child's in school. Um, I, I, I think in a way we say that to, to new home educators to not freak them out when it does take longer than a few days because they're expecting that they maybe have a day or you know a week off and then it's back to the grindstone so so in a way i think i think of when we say that about a month for a year as a kind of preliminary step to to saying this might actually be a long process and also you're not going to know when you've finished it you know it's not like one morning they're going to wake up and say i'd like to do math today that isn't going to happen almost certainly it might do but it's rare um it's a long ongoing process and you only know in retrospect i think when you look back you're like gosh i thought i'd done it but i had still so far to go you know i thought i'm still, I I'm still going thought. yeah because think and as they get older of course you nothing is ever static is it so you know you might have i definitely i think i'm a good example of where i had let go of a lot of my beliefs about how in fact I didn't really think ever have beliefs about how young children needed academic talk, teaching you know I had already let go of those during my psychology training so that wasn't difficult for me but then as they get older and older at each point you kind of think oh gosh you know surely by the time they're 10 they should be learning to read or and you realize that you've still got all these levels of schooled assumptions which are schooled into you because you most of us went to school and I'd say the, the thing I think we learn most at school is that school is absolutely necessary and essential and that everybody should be at school and we come out of school believing that even if we ourselves did not like school didn't find it useful learned most of stuff outside school we still somehow believe that school is really essential it's like a belief running through our society yeah i, I was reading something in um in your book and i, I do want to talk about your upcoming book um, oh yeah I was reading something in your book um, the other day because I quite often refer to it and um, and it was about how, you know, just as we learn to take our shoes off when we walk in somebody's house or say mm. please and thank you, we also learn this um, sort of societal conditioning that school is a part of everybody's life, right? Yeah. Um, and I know that people will often struggle because they don't want to keep comparing home ed to school yeah but I feel what do you that compare it to <laughs> exactly yeah you, you you don't really have anything to compare it to um me personally I, I write a lot about how de-schooling isn't for kids kids are already telling you exactly what's wrong with school and mm -hmm. the way that they learn in school um, <laughs> yeah. they they are very clear on what they're willing to do yeah. and not do um whereas I, I do believe that it's parents that have the biggest no, we've had the hurdle. most years of school haven't we we've had all these years of school and also i think when a child goes to school they're not it's not just them being schooled their parents are being schooled as well i remember noticing this when my when my children didn't go to school and i stayed they, you know we we had this setup where we lived where I'd, i obviously knew lots of parents around there we'd been to the nct groups you know we had like kind of play group groups all that and everybody else went to school not us and it was odd how i noticed how these parents who had previously had quite strong views on how on parenting and how they wanted to interact with their children all that kind of thing the teachers almost became the authority again, like they had been when they were schooled. So, you know, if there was a problem with the child, they'd go and talk to the teacher and the teacher would say, oh, no, no, it's fine. 
and they would believe them. And I would be like, but why would you believe this teacher? Actually, you know, they're, they've, they've, they're looking after your child for 30 hours a week in a group of one to 30. You have your child all the rest of the time. You've had them since they were born. And yet you kind of believe that this teacher has an authority over you and has sort of superior knowledge. And the teacher believes that too. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody believes this. And actually it's like you're back at school, you know, where you go in and you kind of feel like you might even be told off if your child does something that you're not- You're trained, they're not happy yes. With. Yes, yes. And you just fit straight back into this system where you're a kind of subsidiary of the expert, the school or the expert teacher. I thought that was so interesting. But yes, you really have to let go of that. And you also have to let go of the idea that there's going to be a professional who will say yes you're doing this right that's yes. a really difficult bit i think you know that you have to really hard in those early years where your child is doing things that are so different to every other child you know like like for example you were working for three years on getting to a group yeah that was what you were doing in those three yeah. years you were working towards getting to a group and any professional coming in might have said my goodness you know we need to do this in a few weeks but you knew that your child needed all that time and it's so hard for parents to have the confidence to say we have to let this thing unfold in its own time because everything about education and childhood is like, you know, they need to be doing this, they need to be not getting behind, they need to be moving on, they need to be doing this. And actually taking that time is so hard, so hard. It's so, it yeah. is. It is so hard. Um, uh, when I asked in our group, because obviously um, they, they don't actually know that you're coming on the podcast. I just oh, right. asked. Yeah. It's going to be a surprise. I just okay. asked them, um, you know, what what would you ask Naomi Fisher if you could ask her anything? Um, yeah. A lot of the comments were just um, that everyone's really happy that you have finally joined Facebook. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did hold um, off for a long time. You did. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and for a lot of people, it was, um, you know, wanting to thank you for validating their struggles. Um, mm. And, you know, that they as parents are, are not to blame. And... And it's really interesting because obviously you're a professional and you're validating families where mm. a lot of families get invalidated by professionals. So it's it's yeah. just really beautiful. I um, I did have a few questions from people um, such as, do you think the current school system in England is fixable? Ooh, do I think it's fixable? It depends what you mean, I suppose. Do I think that a system of somewhere where children go during the day to be looked after by people who aren't their parents, where they learn. Do I think that's a possible thing? Yes, absolutely. And I think it's necessary in our society. You know, lots of people can't home educate and um, we need places where children can go and access other opportunities, other adults. Um, I don't think that the way it works at the moment is fixable. And particularly there are a couple of things about it. I think we are far too focused on test results. And I think that we cannot really have a system which works for everybody whilst we have these exams at 16, which we say these are really important exams. Everybody has to do them at this stage, yep. you know, no matter what. And we have this system where with GCSEs, 30% of our young people fail these exams. Um, and yet we tell young people that these exams are the most important thing they're going to do. And, they, and that almost the whole education system is directed towards these exams. And I think it's really unspeakably cruel to do that, knowing that 30% of them are going to fail. Yeah. Because the way I would like it to be would be like, okay, so we have these exams, you know, at some point it's useful to be able to show an employer that you have particular skills. So why not have these tests that you can take when you're ready to take them and that you can retake a bit like a driving test. You know, I yeah. failed my driving test three times nobody said to me that means you're never going to amount to anything as a driver nobody ever said well you know that means there's really no point in carrying on now because forever more people will think you're a bad driver I actually think I'm a really good driver now and I think failing my driving test probably helped me in that yeah. you know, I wasn't ready when I first took it um and failing my driving test although it was annoying at the time it didn't make me kind of doubt my worth as a person and I think that our system at of education unfortunately ties children's worth to their academic achievement from really early on we're yeah. encouraging them to do that we're encouraging them to rate themselves against other people and you know i remember it from school you kind of know where everybody else is in an academic ranking and you think the people who do better are better people it's yeah. like a it's it's really 
I mean, if you think about it, it's just awful what we do to our children because, and I really noticed that actually when my children didn't go to school, there are many things that surprised me about them not going to school in terms of how they learned differently. But one of the things that really, really struck me was how little they compared themselves with their peers. You know, they've always had mixed age friendships. They've always had a kind of motley group of, you know, parents and families because home educators get together in whole families. Um, and, you know, it just wasn't an issue who was reading or who wasn't reading or what level of reading someone was at. It just wasn't something that people talked about. The, the only things they might compare themselves on is like how well they're doing on Geometry Dash. And that didn't have anything about how they were as a person. You know what I mean? It's like someone can be good at something or not good at something without it meaning that they are a more worthwhile person. And I think our whole school system needs to detach this idea of academic achievement from who you are because I think yeah. it's so destructive for our kids and I think we need to be bringing our kids into school thinking you know they need to be starting their education it needs to be about how are we going to help all of you thrive in different ways whether or not you're going to get nines in your GCSEs or whether or not you're going to pass your GCSEs because you are still a worthwhile person and we want you to come out at the end of this knowing that you are a worthwhile yeah, I know for me, I'm very, very glad that my um, my child who's in school, um, yeah. she was home educated for um, the really formative years of seven to 11. Mm -hmm. um, and it's enabled her to have a really different outlook on a lot of things. Yeah. Um, and she went to a college interview recently um, and they said, you know, what are your predicted grades? And she said, well, my predicted grades are ungraded. Um, and they were like, OK. Um, is there a particular reason for that? She was like, yeah, because exam systems do not work. Um, and, <laughs> and that's not the best way to show my genius. And, <laughs> Excellent. And they've accepted her into the college. <laughs> Excellent. Regardless of what exam yeah. results she has. They said, you know, yeah. if you get good ones, you can go on to a level three. If you, if you tank out yeah. of everything, we'll get you on a level two. But we want you in our college. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, but for the majority of her friends, you know, they're they're in absolute panic mode yeah. that they're not going to get an eight or a nine. And, and this is you've know, got my 16 year old. My 16 year old's like, well, you know, I'll do what I can. And yeah. I know that, you know, I'm not good at exams. This yeah. is this is not, you know, an, an area that I'm good at. The, the school have already said that if she um, could do everything verbally, she'd be eights or nines. Um, oh, wow. you know so and we don't have that we don't have that no. conversational learning setup so no and it's so arbitrary too because i know yeah. that in other countries they do have more oral exams you know we're we're not it's not every place that sits 16 year olds in rooms and makes them write lots of stuff and then yeah. rates them on that place some places do do things really differently and do assess children differently and i mean don't get me it, wrong yeah. she is she is very um sensitive about it and it, it it does get on top of her um but yeah. that's because it's a daily onslaught from a community telling her that her view is not the right one to have um yeah. i get called into school quite a lot um mm. but uh it's it's really beautiful that in the home ed community you know there isn't although a lot of parents especially if they bring children out of school in the secondary years they'll be panicking about yeah. GCSEs for example and things like that um what I think is one of the most um kind of stress relieving things for parents is when they realize that GCSEs are not compulsory <laughs> yeah absolutely. they kind of get and they don't have moment. to be taken at 16 you can take yeah. them at any point if you want to you don't have to do them all now yeah yeah, exactly. I my um my now nineteen year old is um at uni and for her she didn't do any GCSEs until um the the last two years of college. Really? Yeah. So she did English and maths in the last yeah. two years. Um so she, when she was seventeen, eighteen. Um and that was just so that she had the passes to get into the uni course. Amazing. Yes. And people yeah. don't realise that, do they? I'm asked a lot about this. People are like, what about GCSEs? What about GCSEs? And then actually, if you start to look properly at the post-16 options, there are loads of options 
yeah. where you don't need GCSEs. And there are also ways to get those GCSEs if you need them. And of course, there has to be because 30% of children will go through the whole school system and will not pass their GCSEs. So the, the flexibility sort of comes in at post 16. Yeah. But before 16, people just don't know about it. And everybody's telling kids, this is absolutely crucial. You must do these or your life will be over. I've literally, because, you know, I've worked with teenagers and I think teenagers, it's the hardest group to bring. I think it's really hard for parents and teenagers when they come out of school, because as you say, there's this panic about GCSEs and there's this often, you know, often the, the desolation is really, is really strong in teenagers coming out of school. They feel like they failed. They yeah. feel, you know, they've often had a really long time of things going gradually wrong. And they often feel really torn because their friends might be at school, but at the same time, they're just really not thriving at school. And it's so hard for parents to take that time and de-school, you know, because when you're when they're six, for example, you you do have that feeling of there's time we can take three years if it takes us three years to get yeah. to a group. If they're 13, and then you're looking through, you go, three years? They're going to be 16 by that point. Everybody's going to be moving on. What do we do? It, it's so anxiety-provoking. And I think it can stop teenagers and their parents from having the space to de-school because everybody's so panicked. They're like, we don't have time for this. We don't have time for relationships. We need to be cracking on with these, these exams. And I spent a couple of years in France where they don't have exams at 16. They don't have a you know, and in fact, most countries, apart from the countries that have a colonial history of Britain, they don't have an exam at 16. They just have, uh, they, they have exams, but they don't have standardised countrywide exams at 16. They just have them at 18 or 19 to get into university. And it means that the whole teenage period is so much less pressured. It means that yeah. if a 13 or 14 year old is struggling, people aren't immediately jumping to, but what about those GCSE courses? You know, it just sort of lessens the pressure on that whole period. And I really wish that we could do something similar in this country. I, I really wish we could as well. Um, mm. uh, you know, especially seeing my eldest and how she she did it that way. You know, mm. waiting, she, she went into um, uni. She didn't do the things that she needed to do until she needed them for uni. Yes, um, which is what makes sense, isn't it? That's how adults work as well. You do things when yes. you need them, rather than yes. you set up all this stuff in just in case. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you let's finish with a yeah. with a uh, if you could give one really really important piece of advice to um, home educators, what do you think it would be? Oh, that's what to all home educators at all stages. Yes. <laughs> that's a bit of a, a bit of a big one. Okay. Um, <laughs> new, new home educators. New home educators. Okay, so with new home educators, it's definitely breathe out, take your time, give yourself the time to recover from what's gone before and to focus on safety and relationships. That you need to start there. You won't, you know give up your ideas of what you think they should be doing because actually learning out of school is really different and there's absolutely no evidence that it's inferior you know there is no when I one of the things that really got me into this area was when I started looking at schools and sending my children to school and started thinking about what they talk about as science of learning at school which is basically science of remembering you know yeah. how they remember lots of stuff and then I thought, you know, in all this psychology that I have studied, all this, I've studied, I've done a lot of years of higher education in psychology. I've read a lot of psychology books. At no point did it ever say the best way for children to learn is if we put them in a classroom, sit them in a desk, get them to stay still and tell them stuff and make them write it down. Never. It never came up. <laughs> and yet, enough. Uh, funnily enough, and it's just, it's like working against the way that children really are. You know, you've got these really lively, inquisitive beings who are really active and wanting to do stuff all the time. And you're saying, I'm going to sit you in a room here and I'm going to stop you from asking questions and I'm going to tell you what you should do. It's like it's like we've created a situation which is going to be challenging for them yeah. and that plays to their weaknesses rather than to their strengths. And I think home education gives you this chance to play to your children's strengths, do more of what they love, do more of what they find interesting and that's just can be transformative for your life. And, and as uh, and as parents, just kind of you know, hold on to your hair while you let it happen. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes, and find other people. You know, you need to find stories. I think stories are so important. Like stories like yours, just there of your daughter, met, you know, going to uni and like 
making that without GCSEs, you know, it's so important for people to hear that there are alternative routes, there are other ways to go. You don't have to do things on the same time schedule as everybody else does to be successful. Because we don't hear about those stories, do we? Apart from within the homemade community, we don't. Yeah. No, we don't. And, we don't hear about them. Unless, no, and, and unless the, they're home educators who are sort of, um, you know, geniuses going to... Oh, yes. To Oxford at age 14. Oxford, kind of yeah. Then we hear about them. Exactly. Yeah. And we don't... Um, and all the stuff in the press is about if you don't go to school, you know, then you're a dropout and your life is over and you're not going to achieve anything. It's so negative. Yeah. So I think you really have to seek out positive stories. Seek I out agree. Other options. New yeah. books coming out. Oh yeah, full of positive stories. That's what it's Is about. It? Yes. So it's neurodiversity. It's called a different way to learn neurodiversity and self-directed education. And what I did for it was I interviewed families with neurodivergent children who were who were using self-directed education. So and I also interviewed some adults autistic adults about their experience of school to so these people who went to school um, and then basically most of the book is talking about what it really looks like you know so what does it really look like if you're unschooling a child who doesn't learn to read for ages or if you're uh, unschooling a child who doesn't want to go to any groups you know so I've got so oh I'm so excited <laughs> I hope it's I hope it's going to be good it's it's um it was kind of inspired by when I was on the groups and the home ed groups, um, the feeling, I think often there's a kind of dual thing in, on Facebook in particular, there's a kind of, there's a kind of tension between presenting a positive side to people and the kind of PR aspect of home ed, where, you know, you need to say, this is a great alternative, this could go really well. And then the reality, which for often for lots of families is really hard it and is. often it's off it's not easy it doesn't just flow and if your child is very different to you know neurotypical kids then you're kind of going is this still okay you know is this all right if my child's not doing this now and there's nobody there's nobody who's going to say yes it is rubber stamp it instead so so I think it could be I think I, I kind of felt when I was on the groups that there could be a thing where, pe where parents didn't feel able to talk about how things really were for them because they were worried that other families might be like shocked or did, wouldn't get it, wouldn't understand why, you know, why things were so different in their house. So I went and I wanted to seek out the families where things are really different and ask them about their experiences. I wish I'd known. Them. <laughs> yes, you sound like you would have been great, actually. I we're didn't... A, um... We're a full neuro-spicy household. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No. in all kinds of weird ways. Um, I can't wait. I've already got it on pre-order. Um, <laughs> not going to lie. It comes out in June, doesn't it? Yes, yes, it does. Look at me. I'm such a yeah. fan. I hope, I hope you like it. I, I am guaranteed to like it. Um, I like it even more now that you've described it to me and I'm really excited um, because there's not enough of that out there. We are, we are getting no. more and more, um, you mm -hmm. know, missing the mark and yep. um, square peg. Like, I'm really excited about some of the stuff that um, we're seeing coming out of um, the community. So yeah, yeah, it is exciting. But yeah, for those of right, you it's listening, all emerging, isn't it? It's all emerging. Yeah. It has a feeling of, there's a feeling of energy about it. There's lots more going on. It's great. It, it does feel good. It feels like um, people are kind of getting braver um, to, yeah, I think, to kind of I put think their you're right. stories to tell out their there. stories, to tell their stories without being fear, without fear of judgment. I think that's, yeah. I think that's what's kept people quiet in the past: the fear of judgment, the fear of shaming, um, and just this feeling that people are going to say you're doing it wrong. Because that's yeah. so often what parents get: is that this feeling you're doing it wrong, you're not educating them properly, or not doing this. You know, I worried definitely when my children were younger. I worried what would it what would it, what would it look like if someone came from the outside world and saw that my children are in their pajamas all day and that they're playing, you know, they're playing video games. They're <laughs> and we don't all sit at the table for meal times. What are they going to think? Are they going to say, you know, this isn't good enough back to school? And I think that's a really present present fear. For lots of parents and it's hard to hold it that place where you're like this is what's this is what's working for us this is we're going to keep going here yeah, and you have to get support around you don't you to help you you do continue yeah and that's what we provide at heifer um a home ed for all the uh the 
the heart of home ed is um is what our um motto is um mm-hmm. we provide a little bit of everything there so it's um you know validation it's support it's um someone to to listen and empathize but it's also how to respond to the local authority how to um you know deal with um concerns from uh sort of things like um safeguarding and mm-hmm. you know things that happen that shouldn't yeah but yeah. do um yeah. all of those kinds of things so we're, we're a big old mishmash of lots of different um different things as well as sort of providing support when people need to uh, let the local authority what, know what they're doing um, yeah. in home ed and stuff. Um, Naomi, thank you so much. Thank you, Ellen. It's been really nice to talk to you. It has been really nice to talk to you. Um, I, I've, I'm not going to lie, I've been complete fangirling um, for, for about a month um, <laughs> when, once I knew that we were, we were going to have a chat. Um, and I didn't sleep well last night because I was like, what do I ask Naomi Fisher? Um, <laughs> but thank you. It's been absolutely amazing. Um, and hopefully we've given um, our listeners something a little bit different to um, a lot of the podcasts that I hear you talk on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's definitely sort of been really lovely to hear about your thoughts on home ed and mm. um, how we make that work, especially when we've got, you know, um, stuff that's gone on at school and things and children yeah. have deregistered. You know what's really interesting, just to add something at the end, is that um, when I wrote my book, I thought I was writing it for home educators. I really yeah. did. In fact, I thought it was going to be a really niche book. Um, I wasn't sure. I wasn't When I wrote it, I wasn't sure anyone would read it at all. I wasn't sure I'd get a publisher. But I definitely thought of it as a very niche book. And it was a real surprise to me that actually home educators have turned out, I think, to be one definitely one very big audience for the book, but actually enormous numbers of people have read it whose children are in the school system or who are even teachers in the school system. And I was really, really surprised when they started getting in touch with me and said, I really like your book. I was like, but it's a book about home education. <laughs> That's what I was wondering. <laughs> and of course, it kind of is, but it kind of isn't at the same time. And I think, you know... Um, yeah, it's it's been a, it's I've kind of got drawn into that other world of school refusal and talking about children who don't thrive at school and all that kind of thing because it's clear that actually there's a real need there yeah. as well and of course there's a relationship of course there's a strong relationship but it wasn't something I anticipated so when I was writing a book I really thought it was going to be all about home education so and self-directed education because that's where my heart is really yeah. self-directed education and how amazing it can be for kids um, and families. So, yeah, yeah, completely. I always read it. I, I have read the book as a um, home educator. Mm. Um, and while reading it, I definitely was like, oh, I could give that to my friend whose kid is struggling in school. And, yeah. you know, those kinds of things. So I do get it that it, it kind of bridges that gap between the two. Mm. Um, there is one more question I have for you. Yeah, go on. Your really, really awesome posts that you write on Facebook... Mm. how long do they take you to write are they like (laughs) just something that you tap out on a Monday morning kind of thing or are they like things that you because I'm a writer as well and I I quite often will just sort of tap something out and then come back to it again later and and things like that but um, I I read one of your posts and our admin chat were going crazy about it going how does she write these things they're so spot on and I said I'm gonna ask her I'm gonna ask her on the podcast which one was that that you were reading? Um, oh, it was about EHCPs. Oh, EHCPs, yes. Okay, so with my Facebook page, there's a particular thing going on, which is that I obviously came to Facebook really late. Like, I I've only been on Facebook for about 10 weeks, I think, now. Yeah. Um, and I had a real backlog of stuff that I'd already written for Twitter. and Because I used to post a lot on Twitter. So yeah. I was on Twitter was where I was basically as a social media thing. And that was the only thing. And then it became clear to me I needed to diversify. So I started to move on to Facebook. So I had a lot of stuff that I'd already written on Twitter and I'd also put it on my Substack. So my starting off with my Facebook page was putting on stuff that I had already written for the Twitter, which is why it looks like I'm this amazingly prolific writer producing all these articles, because actually it's like, two years worth of articles that I've produced, which we are republishing on the Facebook page because that audience hadn't seen them. Yes. So they were on Twitter and they were on Substack, but they weren't on Facebook. So that's one thing that 
that is uh, gives a kind of slight illusion about how productive I am. But other than that, there is a kind of I am quite I am someone who just kind of has an idea and then I'm like, ooh, I could just write about that. Yeah. And then I'll just do it. And actually, weirdly, I often find that those posts are the ones that do really well. Yeah. And, you know, they'll go completely viral and everybody will be saying, oh, that's so great. Whereas the things that I plan out and think about too much, they just kind of, you know, they don't hit the mark in the same way. So I think there's something about maybe I read some, I don't read everything that people write on there because there's just too many now, but I do read stuff that people say. And I think there's something about responding to what people are thinking about. So when I write a quick thing, it's often because someone will have said something and yeah. I'll have thought, ooh. So instead of responding it to it, like in a Facebook you know, a thread, I'll think, I'll write another post about that. So I think that's why people say, oh, it's really on the mark. It's because I'm, it kind of is a response yeah. to the thing, what people are thinking about for the last thing. So it's a strange process. Um, I, I completely yeah. get it. Um, to be fair, most of what I write on my blog is in response to something that's that someone's yeah. kind of said in the group and I felt exactly. like this could have a comment, but it would be way better as a really big, nice, yes, chunky. Exactly. It gives you a chance to, to really yeah. express yourself, doesn't it? Yeah. So, and I think actually I, I found that was a really, a really big step in my use of Facebook because I found Facebook quite hard in the past, which is why I wasn't there. Um, that if I give myself space to respond to a comment and write a post about it, then I kind of feel like it's done. Whereas yeah. I don't get into the arguments with people, which I, because, you know, I do have people on both my Facebook and on my Twitter saying things like, you know, this is really terrible advice. You're telling parents they shouldn't be forcing their children into school. Or are you really saying that children should be allowed to play video games? You know, I get really, yeah. I've had some very, very angry stuff. Um, and it was a real turning point for me when I thought, okay, I don't have to engage in this discussion on the Twitter thread or in the Facebook thread. Instead, what I will do is write a post that says, this is what I think about this, get it out there. And actually, it just helped me manage much better because I wasn't in that kind of tussle with people. And I yeah. get a chance to express it, what I thought. But I think I don't understand really when I, when people tell me that they've got very planned social media stuff, I don't. That isn't how my social media works. And I don't really understand how people manage to have, like, you know, all their content planned out because mine often is very much like, oh, this is what people are talking about at the moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that, that, I think people feel that. I think that's why it has a kind of energy to it. You know, it's very can real. See that, yeah, I'm responding to stuff as it comes up. Yeah. But it, yeah. Thank you for sharing that because it was it was a personal interest. Um, it's, I was like, no, it's really how nice to be asked a it? different question. It's really nice. <laughs> yes oh, it's been wonderful yeah. to speak to you and i am so grateful that you took this hour out of your really busy schedule to come and chat to us and um share all things and thoughts on home ed so thank you very much for joining us um thank naomi you. it's been thank you wonderful so much for asking yeah it's been really nice to talk to you <laughs>